0: Hey everyone and welcome to the episode 19 of the E-Learning Guys. My name is Nate de Blumin and as always I am joined by Mr. David Charney. Hello Nate. hello everyone. Hello Dave. Are we ready for the episode 19? We are all set. I am, are you? All systems go, sir. Great. So where have you been a few weeks ago?
1: <laughs> Just a general question.
0: Yeah, yeah, you know. <laughs> Nothing nothing in the show notes.
1: Yeah, I was at the uh, Chicago E-learning and Technology Showcase uh in Chicago. I've been there I think 8 times now. Of course I'm my office is in Chicago so it makes it easier, but uh I think they've had the event this the 10th anniversary, I think. Uh, and it's just kind of a gathering of all e-learning people, um, seasoned professionals and I've met a number of people there that have never had done anything with e-learning before, but maybe they were tasked with it, or they were looking for information, or they were just interested in it. So a lot of cool people there. Mm-hmm. See, we usually have a booth there, so I'm I'm not always able to uh, go to all the presentations, but um, the last couple of years, we've had a couple other people kind of with us at our Illumin group booth there, and so I've been able to explore a little bit more, and yeah, all sorts of presentations on e-learning approaches and theories and best practices and instructional and creative e-learning design, you know, different ways you can do things. Uh, and and a lot of people have stuff about development tools and technology and just how to understand learners better and build stuff for learners better, mm-hmm. bridging those knowledge gaps, all that. So it's just, I think, uh, let's see, it's got 22 breakout sessions, 38 speakers. So a lot of... Um, lot of different stuff going on there um it's just a day and uh, connie uh connie malamed was there from the e coach she was the keynote speaker mm-hmm. uh so it was cool to talk with her a bit and yeah i gave a presentation on the e experiments on on e experiments and storyline which is kind of like an abridged version of some of my youtube channel stuff i picked a number of an assortment of um storyline based uh projects I've worked on. Yeah. Uh, and just kind of where well, I went through them briefly and then took a bunch of questions and, and uh, it was a lot of fun. Is there a recording of this? There isn't. They don't record the sessions. And uh, I thought about recording it, but um, it would have been a lot of uh, work to do that in the space I was in.
0: Yeah, I can imagine. But you can check out my YouTube channel. Oh, yeah? what where, 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 where can people find
1: that? Uh, YouTube.com/elearninglocker, and that's really, you know, of course, not the abbreviated version of my presentation. I get into a lot of detailed stuff there, but I cover a lot of the same projects that I showed at the event. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Fantastic. So, please, dear listener, check it out.
1: Yep, check it out. Uh, it's every year, and they they've got it's like all run by volunteers. So uh, they they all do like an excellent, uh, you know, being there eight times, I've met a number of them, and they do an excellent job uh you know moving things forward and making sure that the show is a a success every
0: year yeah i i i hope to be there one one day because it's uh at least from you know coming from europe it feels like chicago is super much closer than going to vegas or something like that uh so yeah hope to see you there one day
1: as long as it's not in the winter
0: uh come on by Yeah, (laughs) I agree. (laughs) I don't want to travel in winter, no. But uh, data does travel when you're uh, loading storyline content. And uh, Dave, do you know how the storyline content loads and what loads first, what loads second, and then what loads third? I know because I'm reading the storyline document (laughs) right here. (laughs) So uh, the first one is... uh, Okay, so this is something it's good to keep in mind if you have a a maybe more uh, data-heavy course, maybe more videos or something. So here it says in the document that assets are loaded for the first slide or the current slide when resuming, so the course can begin playing right away, which, of course, makes sense. We we start with the first one. (laughs) Might as well. But then it says that assets are then loaded for the next three slides to prevent playback delays. This is great. This is fantastic. This is good stuff. And then assets are loaded for the remainder of the course. Now, I was thinking about this and maybe we should reach out to one of the storyline uh, articulate people. Assets are then loaded for the next three slides. You know what does next mean? Is this the 1.1, 1.2, 1.3 and 1.4 probably, you know? I was thinking it was the order of the numbers
1: of the slide. Yeah, the order that storyline provides, right? That that would be my guess, unless yeah. they're looking at triggers, but then you know, if you've got 6 uh slides that come out of one slide, yeah, it might explode.
0: True story. So which which basically means that if you have, you know, if you're linking to a bunch of crazy slides that are not in one of the first 3, uh, you know, you might have some delays. So it's probably good if you're linking to something that these are the order that follows from the current slide. Mm-hmm, Yep. Yeah. So, yeah. Tip of the day: make sure it's the next three slides. You know, and
1: you know, there's no settings here. This is just how it works. But I find this information's good to, to know. Like, if a client asks, because I've been in the situation where the clients asked, you know, well, how is this going to load? Because uh, some of our clients might have uh, a lot of background in e-learning and, and development, but not storyline. Uh, so. It's good to have this
0: information kind of in your pocket if it comes up. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. It, it it's good to keep this in mind. And just think and and also you know it's just something to think about when you're building things. You know, if you're linking from the first slide to slide number 22, maybe that's not the best way to do it. Just saying. Very good point. Yeah, now we have a really nice chat that we had with Melissa Miloway about changing the loading animation in Storyline. So, uh, here it goes hey melissa very nice of you to join us
2: hi great to be here
0: we're super happy to have you here and you are as you say on uh, your linkedin uh, you are crafting digital learning experiences at amazon that sounds awesome
2: yeah thank you yes so um i am an instructional designer or also um, a technical curriculum developer at amazon and I'm currently in the Department of Engineering Excellence.
0: That sounds great. I should, I should create that department within my company. That, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and uh, you're quite aft- active in the e-learning community, and me and Dave noticed a cool post you had about changing the storylines loader image, so the spinner that loads before the course starts. Um, so maybe let's just go through this. Maybe we'll have a question here and there. And let's explain to the audience how this can be achieved.
2: Yeah, sure. Absolutely. So the way that I did it for my blog post tutorial was that I found an animated um, GIF. And I, uh, after I had published my storyline file, I placed that into the folder. And I just changed out some of the code that's in the story underscore HTML5 file that's in there. And so it's probably like about a five minute process. And the reason that I did it was because I wanted to have a little bit of more unique branding. And I think it adds to the experience of the user Mm -hmm. and changes things a little bit from their perspective. They're not just seeing this kind of like bland spinner when it comes up. It's more Um, Fitting to your company's brand, or you could even put, um, Mm -hmm. you know, little tips or different things like that in it. It just makes a better use of the space.
0: Yeah, and I also feel like it's not just catering to the user, but also if you're a, you know, someone that develops things and customizes things for companies, uh, I can easily imagine doing something special for a company that I'm working with. So you know, they feel like they they get more customized e-learning.
2: Yeah, exactly, exactly. It's just adding to that customized experience
0: you you mentioned that you changed the code in html5 file so this applies only to the html5 courses so this does not apply to flash am i understanding this correctly
2: yeah that's correct so um the way that the flash files are built i was not able to find where to change out the actual um Mm -hmm. spinner or loader and I had tried that yeah. before, but I wasn't able to find it. So um, if anyone finds it, that's awesome. Um, but I couldn't uh, find it in the code.
0: Well, it, it, by 2020, thousand twenty, doesn't it, it's not going to matter anymore, <laughs> <Yeah>. that's true.
2: <laughs> I mean, everyone's going to, towards HTML5 anyway. So um, I think yeah. that that's where my focus is going to lie when I'm doing any kind of tutorials.
1: Yeah. I, and I, I think I had looked at that a, a while back, and I believe that is embedded, uh, compiled into yeah. one of the Swifts as a vector shape. So um, I think what you're doing here with the focus on the HTML5 is the way to go.
2: Yeah, and then the the output also for Storyline 2 versus 3 or 360 is different. So um, I have two different tutorials. I have one that I had done for Storyline 2 a while back, and then this one is updated because the output is a little bit different with mm-hmm. 360 and 3, mm-hmm. so... Um, this new tutorial is a little bit different than my old one.
0: Now, the, not the super thing about this process is that you have to do this every time you publish, right?
2: Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's kind of like the downside of things. Um, I think there are a few ways to automate um, different things. I saw someone's tutorial the other day on adding in um, JavaScript and changing things, but I don't know if that would necessarily work for this. Um and it that would automate things. Mm-hmm. But for this one, yeah, it's kind of a bummer that you have to do it every time you publish. But I think it's one of those things like don't don't do it until you know that your project's completely signed off on and you're ready to upload it. I think it's kind of one of those like last minute wrap ups where maybe you have like a checklist of things that you need to do at the very end and this is one of those things.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I, I actually I had run into that with, you know, when I did the Green Sox, uh, Tween library, I ran into that every time, every time I published again, I'd have to go update the, uh, HTML file. So I was looking for a way to do that. I, I myself didn't find a good approach to kind of recognize or keep that file from being overwritten, uh, a bit annoying, but yeah, having a, a loader or maybe having it copied outside of the folder you can drop in just in case would be, uh helpful but yeah i wish there was a simple way to not overwrite that
0: file every time yeah if if i can geek out just for a second do you mel do you know about the app hazel hazel yeah for mac
2: no no i don't have that one
0: well you should check it out it's quite amazing it's for automatic tasks tasks related to files so you can say if I have files that are older than 30 days on my desktop, please put them in trash. So things like that. And you could say, please watch the folder, this folder. And if a new file appears, copy my HTML5 over that HTML5, also copy the folder, folder loader into that folder. And you know, this, this could happen anytime you publish. So I'm just thinking that maybe Hazel could be a, uh, like a geek- geeky solution to this.
2: Yeah, I mean, I'll I'll have to look. I think that sounds awesome. Any way that I can automate things and make things easier for me <laughs> is definitely good in my book.
0: Hazel is just just to just to give you one more example, what I've done with Hazel once. It's possible to if you scan a document and the document has the you know has the OCR recognition, so you can search through the PDF itself. You could you can create a Hazel that I. The Hazel goes through the document and if it sees a certain words in the document it can rename the document to something else and add a date and put that in Evernote. I had a system like that so when I when I was scanning my invoices so electricity it was renamed automatically and put the the date date and calendar name in the file and then all of that was copied to Evernote automatically it was it was crazy but it's it's amazing hazel is really a g- good app
2: and it is it a f- is it a free app or is it paid
0: i think it's it's like 39 dollars, and i don't know maybe a new version every two years i think it's f- one person shop uh, but quite amazing and i think everything that saves you time it's it's worth the price
2: <laughs> yeah for sure i'll have to check that out
0: yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll pu- also put it in the show notes for any listeners that would like to check it out. Um, in your post, you mentioned a really nice service uh, for creating loading GIFs. So it's loading.io. So have you been using this for a while? Because it looks great.
2: Yeah, I've been using it for a while and they constantly update it as well. So they've got um, all new loaders on there and they, uh, they have like the ability to create your own and customize your own. So you can change the colors and you can also upload your own images if you want, or you can just use theirs, but they're constantly adding new features to the site. So, um, it's just a really great tool and a lot of the features are free. So that's always a plus as well.
0: Yeah. I I really like the site and all the different options you can do and, and, uh, customization. It's really quite amazing. Yeah. Tutorial you
1: put together was very straightforward. Um, I just love the idea of that. You know, I I don't know if you have uh, flash background, but having flash background and being able to edit those loaders uh, over the years and now being in storyline uh, and, you know, not doing that. um, You know, I love finding ways to carry over that creativity into what we're doing now. So that's a great way, especially because the loader is often the the first thing someone sees. And if you can kind of customize it just a little bit, I I think that's a a wonderful kind of first thing they'll see before diving into the the training.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, when you really pay attention to little details like that, like something you see at first or, you know, specifically like white space or different things like that, you can really build up your brand and make a really polished product Um, and e-learning if you pay attention to those things. That's why I never use the player and that's why I take the loader out. And I just want it to be really smooth, customized experience that looks kind of like Mm -hmm. more um, familiar and like website related versus like looking like traditional old school e-learning. Like I try to stay away from that as much as possible because I feel like a lot of people, as soon Mm -hmm. as they see that loader and as soon as they see that player, they're like, oh, I have to take another one of these e-learning courses. So it's really important for me for the visual appearance of things to be just as, as um, good as the actual learning experience itself because I think that we can do both without losing anything.
0: Mm. Yeah, it's also and nice because it's, it's nice you can you – can, nice for the user and also your course stands out from all the others, let's say, cookie-cutter courses. So that's, that's great in that, in that aspect.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And for a lot of things like that, it's easy to, um, to have everything preset. So for instance, in Storyline, I always make my player transparent and I have a, a transparent player saved. Mm-hmm. So whenever I go to make a new, yeah. a new course, I don't pick like the traditional one. I just I turn off all my next and back buttons and I, um, I just hit the transparent player and I'm ready to go for whatever I'm whatever mm-hmm. I'm working on.
0: You should just rename that template to like destroy traditional player. You know something. Like
2: that. <laughs> I wish they wouldn't make it the default. <laughs> I wish they would make the the default transparent.
1: <laughs> I I wish that was the default. Mm-hmm. I do the same thing. I start with a, a, a clean file because I. It's rare that I want to turn those things back on.
0: Yeah. There's another thing um, that 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 that. that uh clicked with me talking about the the loader. I once had a course that had had some like dark grey background and once the background loaded and spinner started well spinning, you could you could hardly see it because the grey was so, so similar to the spinner one. I know that a few times I was like, is this even loading? So that's just another case that I think would be super useful to have this, this, your, your tutorial here. Because, yeah, I could just change it to white or something. Yeah,
2: yeah, that's true. You wouldn't be able to see. There, it wouldn't even serve a purpose if you couldn't see it really well. It would just look like it clashes. So it wouldn't be that great of an experience.
0: Uh, fantastic. Mel, thank you so much for joining us. And uh, please tell us, where can people find you?
2: Oh, thank you for having me. Um, so you can find me on melslearninglab or you can just look me up on LinkedIn and I'm Mel Millaway on Twitter.
0: Fantastic. Thank you so much, and uh, have a great day. Thank you. Okay, Dave, I had a very interesting and frustrating experience with order of the triggers in Storyline. I think I explained this to you, but it has been probably been uh, months or something. So just let me go over this again. I had a interaction at first, user had to answer a quiz question, and then they get a slide or it's just a layer did they get a slide where they they have just a few sliders and they have to select how hard was the question did did they answer quickly? did it take time? Just sort of meta stuff around the question itself so which means I had a bunch of data. To, to look at, I had to see if the answer was correct, and then what they answered about the question itself. You know, so I had a bunch of data. And the client had provided me with like instructions to how to provide feedback. So if they say uh, if the question was correct and the answer, and they say it was easy, display this fed- feedback. And if if the, if the question was wrong. And they felt like it was hard to display this feedback, you know. So I had a bunch of these parameters. Okay, make sense? Uh, yeah, makes sense. Okay, so the idea was that I displayed the feedback in the in the order of of uh, what happened. So uh, the, the the client provided me: if this happens, then display this feedback. So you know, this was my first trigger: when user clicks the button, uh, display this. And if it, if this If the condition is not true, you know, it would go to the next trigger because I'm displaying layers, so the layer will hide once the layer is displayed for the feedback, and it will stop the command. So I was just putting triggers one after another, you know, is sort of in the order that was provided, so it had some sort of priority, you know. So if the first feedback was already opened, it ignored all the following triggers. And, you know, that's nothing special. It's fairly easy, just order of triggers as you're used to. However, I I was seeing that it doesn't work for me. That something is wrong. Something is off. I and I couldn't figure it right out. What's happening here? And then I saw that I don't know if this is a bug or just it's meant to be like this. But if you have if you're counting on the order of triggers that you have on an object like I had here with the button, it goes in reverse. So the trigger that had to happen first needs to be at the bottom of the list in your trigger list. So that was a big revelation cuz usually if you have slight triggers that goes, you know, from top to bottom, but here it went to the from bottom to top and it took some time to f- figure this out. That is a very strange occurrence. Super strange and it I I feel like if they fix this now, a bunch of courses will break. So it's really hard what to do next, you know. Because uh, if someone opens mine now and this this if the, and this bug is fixed, the, the, this course won't work. Right? Are you sure? You might have had your monitor flipped upside down. Um, I think, or I was working in Australia. <laughs> no, no, it was correct. It was correct. Everything is fine. It's just if it's on a button, it goes from bottom up. Which is very weird, and I have to contact them about this. I have I have not done that. I'm guilty of that. But yeah, I have to just squeeze this part out of the course, change some, some slides, and I can send it to them. Yeah, so just a tip. Be careful if you're counting on the order of the triggers on a button. Good to know. Yeah, and buttons also have states. Is that correct, Mr. Dave? They do, yeah. And sometimes they mess with us.
1: Uh, yes, they, they do mess with us a lot. Um, and we actually have a, a new little segment here, Ask the Learning Guys, where we take questions from the listeners and uh, we answer them. Uh, and we have a question here. Uh, let's see, how do hover states work in Storyline? This is from Beth. And actually, we just outside of Ask the Learning Guys, uh, I've been asked this question a number of times. How do hover states work in Storyline? Because they can seem fairly inconsistent in how they work. Um, and actually, that goes for, like, all the states. There's a lot going on there, and they some of the different states work differently, and so it can make things seem inconsistent. Some things are fairly consistent, if you know how it works. Uh, that said, I have run into a couple of bugs, which, of course, th- throws everything off. But, uh, yeah, let me just talk a little bit about at least my experience with states. Mm-hmm. Uh, so first... Uh, if you change the normal state, the change may carry through the other states, as you know. Um, So uh, if you change the text, the text could carry through. Or if, let's say, you uh, make a hover state, but you don't change anything, Um, you just make the hover state and then go back to the normal state, change the color of the background, that color is going to carry through because you didn't make any changes. There's all these little rules kind of going on under the hood yeah Uh, so the hover state will pick up certain attributes of both the normal and the selected states uh in in text color or border color or shadows and effects of the hover state it'll keep that because you changed it and pull everything else from the other state you can see how this can start to get confusing if for instance i have a button with a normal state that's let's say it's got a blue background a white border and white text and then I create a hover state that is identical. I don't change anything. I just create the state, I don't make any changes, and then I create a selected state that's kind of the inverse, so a blue border in text and a white background. Now, what would you expect? You'd hover over the uh, the state, and, well, you'd publish or preview this. Then if you hover over the state, you would expect it to follow the you know what you see in the little states, uh, little state. What do you call that, Nate? Uh, um, st- states preview. In the little states preview at the bottom, uh, but that's not what you'd get. Uh, you would notice that the hover state is exactly like whatever state you're on. So if you're on the normal state and you hover over it, it's not going to change. But if you click on the button and now you are using the selected state and you hover over it again, it'll look just mm-hmm. like the hover, or it'll look just like the selected state
0: yeah yeah very confusing yeah but but it, i think it's i think it's just because you copied the normal state and not change it, which means it's like it's the same yeah that's exactly right uh
1: that's the big thing is you you never changed it if you were to change the color of the hover state but then actually change it right back to what the normal state color is it will it'll look exactly the same as when you first copied it. Yes. over, yeah. but it'll act completely different. Um, it will yeah. now show, in, in in this case, that blue color when you roll over if you're on the selected state instead of the selected color. So, you know, complex stuff. And you can see how if you don't know kind of exactly how the things are occurring, it can seem very confusing. Um, and, and on top of that, you know, you have to pay a lot of attention because if you – it doesn't help that – if you have an object on the screen and you make it like drag and droppable or you make it a pick one or pick many, it can put a highlight on the selected state automatically. Yeah. Um. You, you know, I think we've already all run into that, especially when you've got like 16 items and it puts all these hover states on them or all these uh, uh, glows around everything. And then um, s- selected states can also pick up attributes of the visited state. If you have a check mark on the visited state it's visited. Now you select it. Well, now it'll keep showing that check mark, even though it, if you, again, you look at the little states palette at the bottom, it won't show that. So, uh, you know, very confusing. Um, Nates, you had introduced me to Matthew Bibby, who he has a little blog post mm-hmm. where he kind of breaks it down. He's got a bunch of little storyline uh, projects he published and, and basically explains a lot of this out. And I, I thought because uh, this is a fairly visual thing, and uh, we don't have a lot of visuals on the podcast. Um, no. We'll put his uh a link to this in the show notes so you can go check it out, and hopefully that'll help you understand how these states work a little bit better, so as you're building things, it won't seem as confusing, and the more you know, the more you can use it to your advantage
0: yeah yeah well, I'll put it I'll definitely put the link in the show notes, and you can all check it out. It's a good post about states.
1: Great. Yeah. Yeah. I, the more I learn, the, the more I, uh, I feel I can use them to my advantage. I, and then of course we talked about this the other day, you know, states don't have layers. So oh, yeah. I think yeah. you and I both run into th- issues where if something's on the wrong layer, it can act up. <sighs> Very confusing.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah.
1: They're, they're great to have, but, uh, they can be a bit, uh, you can pull your hair out a bit.
0: You know, what's even more confusing. The most complex drag and drop I have ever done.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I can see where that would be more confusing.
0: <laughs> yeah. Let, let me try to explain this. I, I had a I had this complex interaction I had to develop for a client. So here goes. This is the setup. You have twelve items that are draggable. So this is at the bottom of the screen. And on the top I have five drop targets. It's like you're um you're creating a sentence all of these tiles. And the rules were that uh, first and the last tile on top, uh, so these are the fixed positions because it's you know it's the start of the sentence sentence, it has the capital letter, and then there then is the ending of the sentence, it has the full stop at the end. So the three in the middle are the ones that can be anywhere, you know. So it could be mm-hmm. two, three, four, three, four, two. 432 whatever. And then there's all of the rest which is incorrect. <laughs> um so I I I first I created a freeform out of this just so I had, you know, all the draggable things come to light. We we were mentioning freeform hacks in in previous shows. You can you can check it out. And then I basically because it's so complex, I had to I just figured that I had to keep track of where everything is. Or, or in other words, what has been dropped where. So, how do you do that? <laughs> how do you do that? Yeah, because there are three situations where things are dropped somewhere. Or, or, or uh, how can I say, undropped, just not there anymore. Uh, the first is you, you drag a tile and you drop it. That's it. Okay? So this is the version 1. So the second thing is there's a tile on first one and I drag the second one over it. So the first one jumps down, you know? So it's not there anymore. So first I have right. to keep track what's the you new one want. and what's not there anymore. Right? Cuz you don't want two on in one spot at once, right? No. No, no, of course not. I had to I was thinking maybe I could have that feature disabled, but then I just had to think of the user and it it really has to be user friendly. Yep. And the third one is you drag it up and then you drag it down. So it's not there anymore. So you have to track that also. Okay. So these were the three situations I, I came across that, that cover all of the variations that are happening here.
1: Mm-hmm. And, and that was easy to do,
0: right? Yeah. Super easy. So, so easy. Just, you know, I just plowed through in <laughs> one second. Perfect. Yeah. So what I did. First, I was thinking that I'll have a variable for each tile and just track where it is. But that was too much, and I don't think it would work as well. So I flipped it. I was, my focus was on the drop targets. So just watching what is on the drop target. So once you, once you drop something, I just say, you know, if object 1 is dropped on target 1, Change target one to number one because I, my tiles are numbered. Okay, so if I d- drag the tile one on target one, it means target one equals one. You know, if it's tile five, it means target one equals five. So I'm I'm tracking that. So this is mm-hmm. the this is the easy easy part. And then of course then 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 we have the situation when one tile is already there, and then you drag another over it. So the first Part is easy. You just track what's the new one when that, that has been dropped. But then you also have to keep track what is not there anymore. So that trigger was actually I have to i have to make a little addition to my explanation before it's not when some one tile is there and you drag another one over it that part is easy because you just change what's the target again what's the new target the the mm. problem is if you have two tiles already you know like let's say one and two are full and then you drag from two to one and then you have to track what is now on number 1 and what is not on number 2 anymore you know, because I dragged it off the two, so that was that was the tricky part. Uh, so each of my tiles has a number, so I know, so I know when they are dropped somewhere, the target variable changes to the number of the tile. Yeah. So here I have the situation. Here, this is a trigger. If I uh, drop tile from na- for position from target one to any other, yeah. So this is the the trigger. Because because at that point you have to change the target one variable to zero because there's nothing left there because the tile was dragged yeah I think I think that makes sense mm-hmm. so the so the the trigger is adjust variable target to zero if object tile one is dropped on two three four or five okay this is easy uh-huh. however however um we have to make sure that we are that the position of the tile is has been on target 1 it's not has it's, it's not from the bottom you know cuz that's that means you're changing something that's not that's not true you know you can't drag from bottom up and then change target 1 to 0 that's incorrect so it's all of this all the trigger is based on the condition that target 1 equals 1 because tile 1 is there you know -hmm. So, you just have to keep following where you are, and that's the condition you have to add. So, basically, change it if I jump to any other tile on the condition that I am on this tile, you know? I know this was super crazy. You had a bunch of
1: variables. Yes. Because you showed me this briefly. So, you had a bunch of variables, uh, text boxes on top, so you could, because you needed to very clearly see what was going on under the hood.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. On on top of the drop targets, I had I had the numbers written. So once you drop, you can see the number of the tile that that's on the target. So that was my testing mechanism. Yeah, because otherwise it was is crazy. Right. Yeah. Really good
1: to use those if you're if you have a complex situation. See, so because if yeah. if you don't have them, you're making you're making guesses.
0: And now there's just one more because this one is actually was more or less not possible until Storyline 360 and that's how do you track if user drags the tile down you know so it's not there anymore cuz you know that's not something that Storyline does uh, in the free form anyway uh so it's quite easy change the adjust the variable to 0 when object intersection ends so basically when my tile leaves the drop target change that variable to zero so this one this one is easy you know and this basically was not possible before because we didn't have object intersection and we did have you know when object covers another object so that was sort of a workaround if you had another you know rectangle around the drop target but that n- I don't think that really worked well right so this one is quite bulletproof works well I had no complaints yeah, and then also once user submits, I have a bunch of triggers on the feedback layer, like million of them, close to million. Yeah, and they then all change the states of the dropped targets, which I I can I, I easily know what is what is what because of all the variables. They change drop targets to I think it's feedback state, and then I have an extra yeah feedback state, and then I have an extra bubble under the targets that give you feedback for each dropped item, you know. And it's, it's great because uh, I can totally display the feedback because it's in the state, you know, so it doesn't matter on which position the tile is. If I had feedback feedback, if I put the feedback into the layer, it would be a mess because I then I would have to track where, where the position of the tile is, where is it, what I have to display. But because it's in the state, I just change the state and bubble is there. So it's, it's, I think it's a really good use of states because otherwise, I, would, I don't know, I, I would go mad with that, with all of the combinations that would be possible. Another nice thing about this uh, came a bit later when client asked, okay, but what about the retry button? you know and we were thinking about that because i didn't want the user to you know like restart the whole slide because there's some introduction into the whole slide and they then and also they would have to start from scratch which is not great in in a complex thing like this and at that point i sort of figured that you know i know where everything is i have the variables things have not been changed i'm just displaying of uh, a layer here so on the retry button, I just change all the states back to normal. So all the bu- feedback bubbles disappear. And then user can drag again and click submit again. And retry, submit, retry, submit. Works fantastic. I don't think even storyline solution, I don't think it works like that. Because once you submit, it's it's the end. You cannot continue. But here you can. And yeah, it's great because it's all customized. I know where it, what is where. Everything's in the states and variables. And uh, when I finished this, I was super happy.
1: Yeah, I, I bet once that once you finally previewed that and it worked, I <laughs> bet you went. Ah.
0: Yeah, yeah, it was especially because I, I I thought the, the retry button will be problematic, but then I was thinking about it and and uh, no, it, it should work because it's nothing special. It just change changes states back to to normal and off you go, dear user. Yeah. <laughs> So that's that. Sorry, listener. I know this was super difficult. I hope it was clear. Otherwise, please reach out to me, and maybe I can explain it again or make a short video about it. Yeah, Dave. I think we are ready to wrap it up. Um, Yeah, I mean that's to be honest.
1: You know, you showed me your project, and it's a. I could see it being that sort of thing being used quite often. You know, I mean, if it was easy to put together, it's definitely beneficial from a kind of an e-learning standpoint from a a way to uh, kind of have a knowledge check. So, yeah. but because it's complex, you don't see it very often.
0: And I think I sort of I think I, you know, I sort of nailed all the different situations that are possible with the tiles, which means you you just have to provide the feedback you want, you know? So all, all is all is set, everything's ready. Now just you have to the you know, the content creator has to make up their mind of about what they want to do here, you know, Mm -hmm. because from my technical point of view, I solve this, you know, I can easily expand this to, to, you know, more drop targets or something. And yeah, I'm ready when similar things comes at me again. I'm ready. Bring it. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) Okay, Dave, I think we have to wrap it up. Please tell us uh, where can people find you. Well,
1: people can find me uh, for custom e-learning. You can go to Illumin Group, Uh For a lot of my videos and some templates and e-learning, everything e-learning, uh, in fact, I've got a micro e-learning video I just came out with, you can go to eLearningLocker.com or YouTube.com slash eLearningLocker, and I'm on Twitter at Dave underscore Charney, C-H-A-R-N-E-Y. How about you, Nates?
0: Yeah, you can find me on Twitter under uh, nickname n e j c d or Nate's D, and you can also contact me through elearningbrewery.com. If you have any questions and any questions for the Ask the E Learning Guy segment, we would love to answer anything related to e learning or storyline. I, I actually prefer those even more you can contact us you know through linkedin through twitter or uh, through the website itself there's a contact form and you can reach us in seconds uh, take care everyone and talk to you in 14 days
1: huh. yep take care and happy learning